This is episode 97 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Russ Campbell. He received his degree in physical therapy from Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois in 1989. He is the co-developer of the Effective Swallowing Protocol, ESP, and CEO of AmpCare, an FDA-registered medical device and services company that develops innovative technologies designed to improve the quality of life in people with swallowing disorders. He has 30 years of experience in electrotherapy and has presented AmpCare's products in the U.S., Europe, Japan, and Hong Kong. Russ is responsible for the research and development of the company's products and methodology, as well as guiding the company's growth through partnerships with other healthcare providers. And... Russ has also been on, I believe, episode 19. He would like for you all to know that. So go back and listen to that episode as well. But I'm so excited to have Russ back. He's so knowledgeable. And I always love when we can bring other professionals into our profession. And we have so much in common, yet we're so different. So I really, really, really appreciate his knowledge and wisdom here. And if any of you are interested in the AMP Care ESP device, if you are interested in taking that training program, you can log on to their website. And if you use promo code SYP, you can take their CEU course for $100, their online course. And a portion of that does the proceeds do go back into keeping this podcast alive and well and running. (laughs) So yeah. So if you are interested, I think that course is wonderful. It's an awesome review of even just cranial nerves. So if you're looking for some more ASHA CEUs, that's registered for 0.8 advanced CEUs, I believe. So head to their website and use promo code SYP to sign up for that. And after this episode, I am taking a two-week hiatus. We are taking the rest of July off. So I hope everyone is able to rest and recuperate, get some sun, get some sand this summer. And we will be back in August for our 100th episode. And for we will probably hit our millionth download at the same time, which is totally bananas. So we've got a huge episode planned for our 100th episode. I'm so excited not to discount 98 and 99 because they will be phenomenal speakers as well. But August should be a big, big, awesome month for the Swallow Your Pride podcast. So I can't wait. Thank you all for your support. Hope you love this interview with Russ. And I hope you all are having a wonderful, enjoyable summer. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, and I know firsthand how much confusing and conflicting information there is out there about how we assess and treat swallowing disorders. This podcast is all about bringing everyone together, getting on the same page, being open to new ideas, and using evidence-based treatment strategies for our patients with dysphagia. So let's get into it. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Hello there and welcome back. Just have a big announcement for everybody. We are going to be opening the doors to the MedSLP Collective on July 12th. I'm so excited to finally be opening them. Thank you, everybody who has been waiting so patiently. If you've been on the waiting list, you'll get an email right away. Um, yeah, so what is the MedSLP Collective if you are not familiar with it? Well, it was actually designed for a very specific group of medical SLPs. If you're feeling unfulfilled in your career as a medical SLP or perhaps a bit confused on how to move forward, if you're feeling completely overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed, misunderstood, underappreciated in your facility, if you feel like you're riding the therapy hamster wheel, unsure if you're even providing good care for your patients, 
if you are getting overwhelmed with how much medical SLP information was missing from your graduate education that you're now expected to know. Maybe you're feeling a little bit angry that you received the same training as clinicians who work with kindergartners, and now you feel like you have huge gaps in what you need to know to treat these medical cases. Maybe you've been working in the field for a while. Are you feeling frustrated that there's no one single centralized source to stay up to date on all the latest research and treatments that are coming out every year? Are you even sure that you're providing the right and best, most up-to-date treatment techniques for your patients? Well, imagine if there was one place that you could go to receive all the support and resources to help you eliminate these feelings. Imagine how much time and frustration you would save if you had immediate access to one centralized location for blind peer-reviewed resources. Imagine if you had access to several clinical experts and university professors to help guide you in your clinical decision-making with personalized responses to your clinical cases. Do you think then your patients would receive higher quality care and make progress towards their goals? Do you think you would get more rewarded and recognized for this progress among your patients? Well, this is exactly why I created the Medical SLP Collective. It's a monthly membership program and vibrant community of fellow medical SLP clinicians and researchers who are supporting each other to provide better care for their patients and therefore also advance their careers. So what do you get in the collective? You get weekly done-for-you resources. So each week you'll receive a new video created to help educate you all about all areas of medical SLP, including dysphagia, aphasia, motor speech disorders, voice disorders, NICU, PEDS, and cognitive communication. You'll also get information on how to advocate for your patients within the organizational bureaucracies that often make you feel like your patients don't matter to the doctors and nurses. Each video also comes with a PDF handout that gives you links to all the resources and references you need to implement and they can all be printed for convenience to take on the go. The resources never go away. The library just continues to grow. So you will always have access to all the previous videos and handouts. Also of note, all resources are blind peer reviewed. So you deserve to have confidence in knowing that the materials you are using for your patients are the latest evidence-based and designed to save you from weeding through all the crap. We cover aphasia, dysphagia, dysarthria, voice, cognitive communication, and NICU, just to name a few. Additionally, each month we have two-hour live webinars that are offered for ASHA CEUs, delivered by some of the most foremost clinical experts and researchers in the field, so you'll get a chance to vote on the most relevant topics to you each month. And also, if you can't attend the webinars live, that the recording is always put in our library, so if you join now or July 12th when we open, you have access to all of the previous past webinars that you can take for ASHA CEUs. And lastly, but I think most importantly, we have our private forum and Facebook group. So we have both a Facebook group and also a private forum that has its own app to ask all your clinical questions there. We have several, I believe 20 to 25 different clinicians and researchers that act as moderators and mentors to ensure you receive personalized guidance supported by the evidence to help treat your patients as best as you can. Many of our members in the collective say that the private forum in the Facebook group is worth the price of admission alone as you get real life frontline in the trenches support from your fellow clinicians with researchers to back it up and a team of trained guides to answer your every question. So again, medslpcollective.com. It is opening July 12th. It's a monthly membership site. So if you join us and you decide it's not for you, no biggie. We also have a seven-day money-back guarantee. So again, if you jump in, download every single resource, watch every single webinar, and still decide you don't like it, 
you can get your money back. So <laughs> I do hope that you will see the value of what it is. It's a wonderful community. I could not be more proud of how it's turned out. Yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything to say other than I love it so much. And I really, truly hope you'll join us. So that will be opening on July 12th. Hello, Russ. Teresa, how are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Uh, joyful. Fantastic. Thank you. You're, yes, you're welcome. Well, thank you for squeezing us in on your super busy day. I know you're about to jet set to some other foreign country to talk all things dysphagia. So thank you for squeezing us in. I, my pleasure. I don't know if it's all things dysphagia. I'll certainly talk uh, a on a few things. <laughs> Amid one thing, dysphagia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. At least something yeah. I feel fairly skilled on, right? Yeah. Where are you going? What is, I've heard a few people going to this conference. Yeah, it's the first Latin American dysphagia conference in Buenos Aires, Argentina. So, oh, cool. We've been asked by a company called Hasten to explain AmpCare's effective swallowing protocol. And while I'm there, Rick is at the International Society of Physical Rehabilitation Medicine and the Japanese Association of Rehab Medicine, JARM, in Kobe, Japan. So we're going to get the, the north and south part of this Crazy. world covered in the, in the next week. So You trusted him to go there by himself? I, I didn't. And the only word he knows is kampai, which is cheers. So that, yeah. that's always nervous. Excellent. But uh, I've seen some nice uh, pictures already. And uh, Edo, the uh, company that helps AmpCare distribute our products over there, has been very gracious, a beautiful presentation and booth that Rick's been at. And he's actually trained yesterday. So awesome. all's good. All right. Well, if people don't know who you are, I know who you are. But if people don't know who you are, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I I guess, you know, for this presentation, all you really need to know is that I'm a practicing clinician. I've been a practicing clinician for 30 years. No, take that smile off your face right now, Teresa. But. I, I can't, I can't take your glasses seriously. <laughs> I got the Harry Carey glasses and the Harry Carey <laughs> microphone. So if I bust out, hey, let's get some runs, just, just settle yes. back in. Please do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a practicing clinician, a physio, physical therapist by trade. And I would say for this presentation, what you need to know about me is I have a really good handle on surface electrical stimulation and probably even a better understanding on how to use neuromuscular electrical stimulation. And I'm backed by a profession or a discipline that has over 70 years of peer-reviewed research on how to use this modality. So I think that's what's important here. And then I would just say one other personal thing about me. I am a huge Chicago Cubs fan, if you haven't figured that out. And that's for your little friend, Tiffany, with an I at the end of it. And Tiffany Wallace, I do have <laughs> okay. my eye on you because you and Rick have a tendency to mock me on social media about my Cubs. So watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to screenshot this picture of you right well, now. So hey, I thought this was all audio <laughs> podcast. What the... It was until you wore those glasses. <laughs> so look, I hate to say it, but when I turned 50, 49, I woke up, looked at my alarm clock. I couldn't read it. I, 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 where couldn't, you were. I couldn't believe it. And then I feel it takes four, 49 years for your eyes to go bad. And then we go buy $10 readers and try to save our life. For right. the next. I don't know. So Lasix is down the corner right. for me, I think. Yeah. Obviously now since the comments. Right, right, right. I mean, they do make other ones that don't look like exact replicas of Harry Carey, but I, I, I get where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right, all right. Let's get on topic. So what are we going to talk about yeah. today? 
Rick. I was just about to call you Rick. Oh, that Ross. would not. It starts no. over. <laughs> Rick. There is a huge difference between me and Rick. There is a very, there is a very big right, difference. Let's get there back is, to yes, the ranch. Yes. Back to the ranch says, I think. Okay. Um, now, last time I picked the title and I kind of got my hand slapped for it. So if you haven't changed my title, the title I think would be uh, How Neuromuscular Electrical Stim Can Impact Swallowing Kinematics and What Systems Can Do It. There's a couple FDA systems out there that are cleared for the treatment of dysphagia. And I think we should talk about some of the kinematics. Kinematics meaning the forces which can cause motion. What are these powered muscle stimulators doing the peer-reviewed research say they're doing, and uh, how can we apply that to dysphagia therapy as a clinician? Again, Rick Rond and I are clinicians first. We developed this starting back in the early 90s, and we really didn't bring it to market in 2000, until 2013 until we knew what we had, because we're clinicians first, right? So let's talk about the role right. of NMES as applied to patients with dysphagia. How does that sound? Sounds good. All right. So let's rock with it. So I think the last time we spoke, uh, we talked about muscle fiber types and recruitment philosophies. And I explained how neuromuscular electrical stimulation results in a training effect that preferentially trains the fast twitch type two muscle fibers. And if you're not aware of that, maybe after this podcast, go back and look at episode 19 or listen to it. But this is not just Russ saying it. This is science saying it. I listed nine articles that I put in my top 10 that, to me, improve not just strength, power, endurance, but also helps recovery sensory and motor uh, control of muscle tissue. So I've given you nine references, and I also have a 10th one in this podcast that we'll go over that really talks how NMES can certainly improve the recovery of sensory afferent pathways to the brain and motor efferent pathways from the peripheral nerve to the muscle that can certainly improve strength as well as endurance. And my opinion is if you can speed up your strength, you'll speed up your timing, your initiation. So it'll affect both the sensory component of swallowing as well as the motor. So let's get into it. I think the reason why we brought up this topic was at trade shows or conventions, when we'd see one another, we would talk about this a little bit. And lately, what's really kind of scared me a lot at these trade shows is therapists would walk by our booth and they would see us and I would try to ask them, you know, do they treat patients with dysphagia? And they would look at me and say, ah, we, we're trained in NMES. And that scares me. When your discipline says you've been trained in NMES, I get a little worried. So for those that were willing to have a little dialogue, I asked them, you know, so can you tell me how you're doing NMES or using NMES? And they would basically tell me brand names. Well, brand names doesn't really tell me how you're using NMES. And when you leave our course, again, you're trained on a specific set of parameters, but NMES goes way beyond our parameters or any other FDA cleared parameters for the treatment of dysphagia. There's a, billions of other parameters, and we'll touch on that at the end of this podcast. We're not going to belabor that. But I just want to let you know what the meaning is of NMES and that we are basically using electricity to stimulate a peripheral nerve. Anything outside your brain and spinal cord, we're stimulating that peripheral nerve to correspond with a target muscle, a specific muscle, or a group of muscles to elicit a sustained contraction, movement, elicit a force that will cause motion. 
That's what we're looking to do. And what I said back in episode 19 is when you put these electrodes on the body, the electrodes don't know the difference between a type one or a type two muscle fiber, but the nerves, the largest motor nerves, they have a thinner sheath because as I said, they're stuffed thick. And when you stuff a nerve with too much stuff, the sheath thins out. It's like a, a casing to a bratwurst or a polo sausage. Up in Chicago, we eat a lot of sausage. So that, that sheath gets thinner. And they're first to respond to electrical stim. So although the, the body feels the sensory tingling first, the next nerve it stimulates is the largest motor neuron, which goes to the type 2B or type 2 muscle fibers. And that's that preferential training that you get with NMES that I don't have to fatigue my type ones first. I can go right with NMES, elicit a motion, movement, sustained contraction, and get my type two muscle fibers to work. And I should not, I've given you references, there's nine there, there's entire books, chapters, I'm showing you a six page, three ring, six inch, three ring binder that I have that has all the research that I believe is substantiated at the benefits of NMES. So, Hopefully that's not anything that we need to go over as much. But what I really think we need to talk about is how NMES can impact swallowing kinematics and then what FDA cleared systems can do it. What do we know they can do? And I feel I'm, my mom would laugh. I'd never call me an expert, but I feel because I've developed one of these FDA cleared systems that I can certainly talk about mine. And I've learned enough about other FDA cleared systems that I can certainly talk about the research on them. So let's get into that. All right. So in this show notes, these podcast notes, everything that I'm saying is in there. I've given you pictures. I've backed it up by research reference articles. And then I backed it up with links because some people see or understand by vision, some by hearing auditory, and then others by sight, right? So we're going to give you every kinesthetic awareness uh, that I can to help you uh, understand what we're doing. So let me first explain what we do and the kinematics behind ESP, the Effective Swallowing Protocol. Um, Ampcare's uh, Effective Swallowing Protocol is FDA-cleared, for the treatment of dysphagia and that we can show you under fees, under fluoro, that we can move the hyolaryngeal complex in a forward, upward direction, similar to that of the Mendelssohn. Now, I just said the hyolaryngeal complex. I'm not saying a whole Mendelssohn. I'm not incorporating the swallow yet, but we can just put this on you. I can stimulate your suprahyoid musculature, specifically the anterior digastric mylohyoid, possibly get as deep as the geniohyoid and move your hyolaryngeal complex forward and upward. And I'm going to tell you this, if you can get the hyoid to move, you're in doing some really good things. Some people have a different opinion of it. I'm going to tell you the hyoid's a bully. If you get that hyoid to move, you're going to get a ton of kinematic effect, what we call anatomical inference, that will affect things all the way down to the PES-UES. And I'm going to prove it to you on fees. I've got a great fees video, and I've got a great floral video that will prove that we can make some changes there. So what happens? What is anatomical inference? So you brought up my... I would say business partner, but I'd call him a friend, (laughs) lightly, 
Rick, if you, me, and let's say one of your good friends, Miss Garita, because I don't get to see her much, were tied together by a rope, me first, you in the middle, Garita behind, and Rick yanked that rope, we would all move, right? Now, yes. muscles aren't like ropes. Muscles, tendons, ligaments, they're more elastic, especially the muscles and tendons. So if Rick had this big, thick rubber band, and I was tied to it first, you were behind me second, and Garita was third, and Rick took off, I would get yanked the most, because I'm the closest to Rick, you would get yanked the second most, and Garita would drag along with us. Does that make sense? That's anatomical inference. So guess what happens when Ampcare moves the hyoid and larynx? Because your tongue, which sits atop your hyoid, attaches to the hyoid via the hyoglossus, I move your hyoid forward and upward, the tongue base has got to go with it because it's just attached. Your epiglottis sits inside your hyoid. The epiglottis is a cartilage. I can't stimulate the epiglottis, but because your epiglottis attaches to your hyoid via a hyoepiglottic ligament and your epiglottis attaches to your thyroid via a thyroepiglottic ligament, when I move your thyrohyoid, your epiglottis has got to invert. It's no difference if you stand up on that table and I grab your feet and I yank them forward and upward. Which way is Teresa going? The other way. Tim Burr, baby. You're going down. It's over. So don't think we're getting all the movement. Don't think that we're stimulating the epiglottis. Just know by kinematic motion of the hyoid and larynx, these things start to move. And I've got some beautiful pictures that show you that at rest and with patients receiving ESP. And it's not just Russ doing it, it's the same people doing it, different people doing it in Japan and the UK. And the pictures are in there in those show notes. So let's go on. After the epiglottis starts to retrovert, as I pull the hyoid and larynx forward and upward, remember, that patient isn't swallowing. They don't know what's going on. They're just getting sensory and motor stim through the suprahyoidal musculature. But if I move the hyoid and larynx and the pharynx stays because they haven't swallowed, this is what gets really interesting. You start to shallow the vollecula as the epiglottis retroverts. You start to shallow the piriforms as we create a stretch through the laryngeal and pharyngeal regions. And you actually stretch open their laryngeal vestibule. Now, to a dysphagia clinician, they're going to go, what is this PT talking about? I'm trying to close the airway, and this guy is opening it. And I'm going to what tell you, spot on. <laughs> now let's understand kinematics. I'm opening the airway because when you swallow, what are you going to do? You're going to close, close it. it. You got it. Spot on. You're going to shut it down. So what Ampcare does is by moving the hyoid larynx in the proper direction, being facilitatory to those structures, we create a resistance to the laryngeal vestibule. And we now have data that shows we can speed up laryngeal vestibule closure times, and I'll get to that. And if you can speed up laryngeal vestibule closure reaction times, there's less chance for food and liquid to run down it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right, fantastic. So please, if you don't believe me, again, don't just listen to Russ. My mother would never say that. Check out the science of this and then check out the links. I've got a nice link under fees of a patient receiving ESP under fees. And you're going to see not only the airway being stretched open, you're going to see the PSUES start to open. Why? 
based on anatomical inference, there is scientific evidence that supports the correlation of the anterior motion of the hyoid as well combined with the elevation of the larynx does what to your PSUES? Opens it. Starts to open it. So when you watch that fees video, you really hone in on that PSUES and you're going to see that that PSUES starts to open. And it's semantics to me. I don't care if you want to call it that we pull it open mechanically or it's inhibited and it relaxes open. It's a semantic thing. I'm hearing this with the training. And instead of semantics, you should be going, wow, if we can do that, that's a good thing for rehab. Don't worry about the semantics, but I'll leave that up to your speech and language discipline to figure out the semantics. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the beauty of ESP. So moving on to that next page, you'll see a picture that comes out of this book. This book was published in Japan. It's in Japanese, obviously. And it was some text was written by Dr. Matsumoto at Kirishima Rehabilitation Hospital in Kagoshima Prefecture. And what he came out to do is he wanted to say, is what Russ saying true? If we stimulate using the AmpCare E-Series electrodes and powered muscle stimulator, could we get the hyoid and larynx to move in the right direction? And not only are you going to see that, but he's also got the still picture at rest and the picture with just ESP moving the structures, you're going to see the tongue base retract. You're going to see the epiglottis start to invert. You're going to see the laryngeal vestibule stretching open and the PSUES opening. He's actually dotted this on a still shot of floral. And it's published in this book. It was published back in 2016. So what I want you to make sure that you understand is what it's not all about. It's not even a little bit about. It's a little bit about the NMES, but it's about the act of exercising with this on. I think you've had some great people on this podcast over the episodes that you always have to combine this with an exercise. And what we feel the best exercise for swallowing is to swallow. So why? We're going to pull their hyoid and larynx forward and upward. So even that patient that can't even initiate it, we're going to get them going in the right direction. And then we're going to allow you, the clinician, to use your skills anything that you can do to help them elicit a cold, wet spoon to get a little autonomic reaction. Oh, someone's putting a spoon in my mouth, a little condensation. If they have good oral hygiene and you want to use a water protocol, uh, then I'm fine with that. Sometimes we'll use lemon glycerin because we know that can help speed up the swallow, maybe even a little coconut oil, but no food bolus. And here's why. This is one thing I hate when I'm at trade shows. Oh, we don't, we don't use Abcare because you can't feed them with it on. Well, why can't you feed them oh, with Jesus. it on? If yeah. you don't know what we're doing, you know why we don't feed them with it on. If I am changing swallow physiology, I'm going to pull your hyoid and larynx up and hold it for five seconds. That's what I'm going to do. I don't want you complicated it with a bolus. I don't want you throwing something down there that could go down the wrong pipe because they're not swallowing all under their control. We've had some key opinion leaders. We've had some, some clinicians going down, uh, using our protocol, and they said, hey, Russ, we just want to know. You know, they're curious. And I said, I don't care. You can do it. But I'm going to tell you, we'll never train it that way. And they do it on healthy normals. And guess what? For the most part, everything goes down the right pipe. But you're, my problem is you're not treating healthy normals. You're treating weak, deconditioned, stroke, diabetic, peripheral neurological diseases, progressive neurological diseases. So 
one of the big differences between us and other technologies is no bullish during the on times. Now we're gonna give you 25 seconds, 20 seconds, 15 seconds, as the patient's progressing through our protocol of rest time. Now during those rest times, whatever they're safe on, no one can swallow 60 to 72 up to 90 times without becoming parched if we don't prime the pump. So by all means, during the off times, whatever they're safe, cheers. Does that make sense? Yes. With ESP, we always pair it with a swallow during the stimulation on times because we're recruiting the type 2Bs, we're working them harder and better than they ever have before, and then we're creating a perturbation to the laryngeal vestibule. And this word your, your listeners should be really aware of. This is a, a word that's been around for a while. It's been in our discipline for a while. It's coming into your discipline. A perturbation is what we call, uh, it's a change. It's a deviation, right? We talk about it. Normal swallowing airway should close. What does AmpCare do? We perturbate your laryngeal vestibule. We pull it open. Facilitatory to the hyoid and larynx, but perturbate, change the airway. Why? Because if we pull you open, you got to swallow harder to close it. And I wanted a tool for you all that you didn't have to say in front of your patient, hey, can you swallow hard for me? Hey, was that hard enough? I don't know. I don't know how to swallow hard. Well, guess what? AmpCare is going to do that for you. And we perturbate the laryngeal vestibule, requiring the swallowing mechanism to overcome this perturbation to create this faster kinematics. So let me give you the research. It just came out in 2018. I think you're aware of it. It was done by Dr. Watts at TCU. And just because of the sake of all these research articles that we'll be talking about, I'm going to give you the name of the first researcher. And just do me a favor, download the show notes because every researcher on these articles is vital to the research. So you know who was a part of it. But Dr. Watts at TCU in 2018 said, all right, Russ, if you truly believe it, we, we now have software out there that can measure spatial and temporal measurements, right? Awesome. There's, there's Swallowtail, there's Tim's review system, there's DIP Pro systems. There's, there's a lot of systems now where you can put these up on your objective tests and measure either spatial distance or temporal time. So we know the laryngeal vestibule, there's a wide range, but it, it closes in anywhere from 380 milliseconds up to 1100 milliseconds, depending on the person, their height, what they're swallowing. Is it cold? Is it hot? Are they sitting? Are they standing? Is it given to them a spoon, a cup, a liquid? So there's a wide variation. So as much as I'd love to give you range of motions that we have in PT, that this is only 180 degrees of shoulder flexion, your ranges of motion through a kinematic standpoint are very large just because of the, the mechanics of the swallow and how unique it is. So does that make sense? But what Dr. Watts said was, let's just take some people, let's have them swallow three times. I'll put them under some temporal measurement system and we'll measure their speed of airway closure. And then we'll have them do ESP 10 times. We'll stretch them open. They swallow, stretch them open, they swallow. And then we'll measure that airway closure. And then we won't do ESP. And then we'll have them swallow again and see if there's a change. So by perturbating that airway, will we see a change? And I told him, without a doubt, there will be a change. And here's why I said it. I didn't need the research, but guess what? Your field does, and I get it. I get the key opinion leaders. They're all on me. Show me the data. But let me just say this. You know I'm leaving for Argentina in an hour or a couple hours. I got a suitcase right here. It's packed with 50 pounds. 
I tell you, Teresa, lift that suitcase up and put it on this table. You're a young, healthy individual, not practicing for 30 plus years like myself. You can lift this up, put it on the table. You might struggle because you didn't realize it was 50 pounds, but because you're a young, healthy individual, you adjusted, you accommodated, and you got it up here on the table. I tell you to do that nine more times. Every time you get better. Why? You bend at your knees, you bend at your hips, you tighten your core, you pull it in close because you motor learn, motor plan that Russ can't pack for three days without piling in 50 pounds of crap in his suitcase. So you get there. The 11th time I tell you to lift that suitcase up, but I took everything out of the suitcase, but I didn't tell you, Teresa, do you overshoot the table or do you undershoot it? Way overshoot it. How did you know that? Where's your peer-reviewed research that tells you that you knew you were going to overshoot that table? Because that's what everybody's been asking me, sister. I don't know. Okay. Common sense. Ah, God bless you. (laughs) It is. Can you imagine using common sense? Oh, my gosh. It's called a postulate. A postulate is accepting proof without evidence. It's common sense. It's self-evident <laughs> based on reasoning. Good judgment system. <laughs> oh my gosh, if we could just use that. So just realize it's accepted to be true without proof. You knew it. Everyone at our course says it, but now I got to prove it to you. So I told Dr. Yeah. Watts, game on, let's do it. So he had them swallow three times and measured it. They averaged around 380 milliseconds. Remember, a swallow happens in about a second. So they would just swallow. He would measure. And he tells you how he measures. You can see how that airway closure completely obliterates that whiteout under fees. You know, at least under certain objective tests, you can see that airway completely shut down. So he was able to view it. He sees three dry swallows at 380 milliseconds. Then he does 10 ESP swallows. And because they were starting further apart, we thought it would take longer, but it actually went to 309 milliseconds. It got faster. And Rick talks about this research, I think, with you on episode 60. So if you want to hear a lot more about that research, check out podcast 60 or read this article. I've got it in your show notes. It's written there. It's on our website. All of our research is on our website. We put it under research, ampcarellc.com forward slash research. And that link is listed on your show notes. But the bottom line is we did that 10 times and then we took it away. And when we take it away, that's like taking the 50 pounds out of the suitcase. Then Dr. Watts saw how fast the airway closed and it went to 233 milliseconds. After just 10 stimulations, it went 39% faster. That's kinematic data that you can start to hang your hat on. And something you can say, hey, healthcare, insurance companies, this is why we're doing it. I've got data and I've got pictures and I've got video links under fees and floral. And I even give you a patient link where it shows a grab. This is another thing I get a little worried about with the profession. I hear everyone saying, oh, I turned it up to this grab and I don't see a grab. I don't see a tug. When you look at what happens with ESP on that link with the patient, you're going to see a grab. You see a grab so well that what I hear when people finally are willing to spend a little time and talk to me about this, they go, wow, 
that's a lot. I don't think my patients can tolerate it. And I go, well, what do you think you, to, to move a hyoid and larynx, you have to get a lot of movement. This structure is not just right under your skin. I got to go through skin. I got to go through adipose tissue, fat cells. I got to go through 300 lymph nodes. I got to go through platysma, sternocleidomastoid before I even get to the anterior digastric and myohyoid. So current gets absorbed in that superficial tissue before it gets deep. So you're going to see platysma fire. If you're not seeing platysma fire, you're not even getting deep. So if you can't see it, it ain't happening. And that's the thing that kills me. And these other companies will talk about getting that motor contraction. The patient will feel a grab. If you don't see it, you're not getting the type 2 muscle fibers. And if the patient's telling you they're feeling it and you can't see it, you're relying on your patient. And good luck treating your patient's reliability. You got to see it. Fair? Yep. All right. So that's Dr. Watt's research. Well, tell me, was Dr. Watt's research on what population was that done on? Fantastic. It was healthy normals. I want to say majority, it was women ages between 20 and 40. I don't have the article right in front of me, but it's on the website, the whole thing written there. Check it out. So why didn't you pick another population? Listen, I know we can do it. I need to get it out there. And it's easier, faster, less IRB trouble to go through healthy normals than it is to find me my Parkinson's or my strokes or anything else right now. So look, I told you, you knew the answer. You knew it was a postulate. You knew it was self-evident. All I'm doing is trying to get the data out there as fast as I can for you. Now, good question and way to play devil's advocate, but I'm going to tell you this. We've got research from 2018 that's also on here from Sheffield University, Sheffield Teaching Hospital in England by Dr. Lisa Sprozen, and there's other people involved in that. So look at the article, it was published in 2018, that are using this on stroke patients and had such good success on strokes. All the things that we do in the UK, we are doing audit tools on. So we're getting data on strokes, we're getting data on head and neck cancer, we're getting data on Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, we're getting data on all these patients. And of course, what was shown in the research under Sprozen, about 75% had a diet upgrade on functional oral intake scale, and 100% of them had improvement on their swallow quals. And now we're going to go back with these audit tools. There's another 20 more that have been added this year in 2018, 2019. That data has been submitted, and they're not just strokes. There are these other diagnoses. And we'll get the results on them. But I'm going to tell you, it's better than traditional exercise. Yeah. Winner, winner, chicken dinner with NMBS yeah. is what I'm, I'm going to I'm just really you. disappointed that Dr. Watts wouldn't share his Parkinson's population with you. It's coming. Okay. Listen, the gentleman that's on the Dr. Watts article, the other one, I want, I want to make sure I get his uh, name right. I think it's Domikin, Matthew Domikin, I think, and he's a PhD student. So Matthew's obviously been trained in ESP and he will be hopefully working. That will probably be his PhD is cool. progressing it from there. But look, like any research, and I, I praise anyone who is willing to do research with us. We've gone to these trade shows for over 10 years. And the thing that really burns me is when key opinion leaders, I love it when they come into the audience and see these companies that are helping provide some revenue to, to put on these conferences. I just want a little dialogue. 
because these guys are, Dr. Watts was one, I didn't have to go chase after. He came to me wanting to know what we were doing. And he said, before I do this on patients, it makes sense. You have to yeah. prove it to me on healthy normals before I'm going to put it on a patient. So I said, bring it on. It's a postulate. We are perturbating the laryngeal vestibule. Here it is. And not a gambling man. Mission accomplished. But yeah, yeah. move on. And, and yeah. we're showing it in the UK and we're showing it in Japan as well. So that's, that's enough about me. The link on all the research from Lisa Sprozen and Dr. Watts is at uh, that swallowtherapy.com forward slash research forward slash. That's all on your show notes. Go check it out. So now let's talk about one of the other and the oldest FDA cleared treatment for dysphagia, right? And I think a lot of us have heard about a vital stim. So look, I think, I hate to say it, but this research was published 12 and 13 years ago, and it's kinematic data. And I don't think it's really gotten its due. I think people have blown it off a little bit, but I do believe it's, it's got some good information in it. And I will play devil's advocate to both of it on both sides, because I've seen how vital stim has responded to this research. And I, I met Marcy Freed back in 1995, the developer of vital stim, and I talked to her about it. And now I'm seeing some blog sites that are going out about VitalStim, and I hear what they're saying about it. But let's talk about the research. So the first research article we'll talk about was by Dr. Humbert. It was in 2006. It's the effects of surface, surface electrical stimulation on hyolaryngeal movement in healthy normals at rest and during swallowing. And then we'll talk about another article that was by Dr. Ludlow in 2007, the effects of surface electrical stimulation on both rest and during swallowing in chronic dysphagia patients. So again, you've got the healthy normals and then the patients. But the bottom line is that they showed with this product, they could elicit motor. They could elicit movement. But it said, using vital stim over the laryngeal and submental regions, because you're putting electrodes above and below the hyoid, that it showed to lower the hyoid and larynx, reducing airway protection and placing some healthy volunteers in the 2006 study, as well as patients in the 2007 study at increased risk of aspiration. Now, don't have to believe me, read the articles and look at the link. It's not my link, so I can't give it to you for free, but there's a link called the hope is in the science. You can pay, I think a minimal fee and it talks about it and it shows it under floral what was happening when you administer a bolus with this product. Now, the good news is that, hey, we elicited movement. Now, the bad news is, hey, we thought it was supposed to go up, but it went down. And I'm going to tell you as a physio or a PT, if I play tug of war with electrical stim, two electrodes in any configuration, up, down, crisscross, doesn't matter. Two above, two below, and I play tug of war, it's pretty easy to know who wins the biggest, longest, strongest, and gravity assisted. So if I put two above and two below and I crank it up, it's coming down, in my opinion. I don't care if you crank it up and do it the way they did it in the research to a maximum contraction, or you do what now Vital Stim is recommending, a sub-maximal contraction. The bigger, longer, stronger muscles will win and they're gravity assisted and it pulls it down. Does that make sense? Okay. Very good. So check out the links, check out the research and go to that. Now, to play devil's advocate to this research, I have heard, but hearing isn't substantial enough. So recently there's a blog that was out. It's called The Vital Stim, the first, first a little Vital Stim 101. It's a blog that was out on a couple of these other 
vlogs that are out there on social media. And what this vital stim trainer said was that the research utilizing a maximum contraction is not therapeutic and that they recommend a sub-maximum contraction. So now the question is, well, what's maximum and what's submax? So we've heard that, hey, turn it up to max and then turn it down a little bit. So it's not maximal. Well, now this is where Sounds you get conflicting yeah. data. Yeah, it gets conflicting. Now, in, in the research in the 2007 article, Dr. Humbert says they used a maximum contraction to tolerance for each placement that the subject reported to a grabbing sensation that was instructed in the training manual from the Vitalstim therapy. And I will tell you in the early days, and even when I talked to Marcy Freed in 1995, they went to max. So whether you believe that or you believe the submax rule, it doesn't matter to me because I'm going to prove to you in parameters that it isn't motor. It's not motor for long. And you need to understand parameters. The thing that always concerns me in these articles, electrical stim, neuromuscular electrical stim is the most research modality in your field, but no one cares about parameters. So it doesn't matter how much research it is if everyone's using different rules and there are rules to follow. There's entire textbooks, three ring binders that are out there on the NMES and no one's following them. But that's how we based ESP is on these rules. So let's just go a little bit further. So the bottom line is the two research articles from the key opinion leaders I talked about, they showed movement and showed the movement going down. I think the, the devil's advocate side of me and what Vitalstim saying is, hey, we didn't say to use Max, but the inventor did way back in 2001, and, or at least in 1995 when I met her. And now you're saying in blogs, it's a sub-maximal contraction. So I'm going to tell you in the research on neuromuscular electrical stim, and for those people not seeing this on this podcast, I'm holding books, three ring binders up to Teresa. It says these contractions should be two motor and should be at least fair plus. We have a manual muscle test grading scale that we use, and anything above a three is range of motion against gravity. And what they're saying this muscle contraction should be is at least a three plus. Most NMES should be three plus. What does that mean? Contraction against gravity to create motion, a kinematic effect, okay? So look, if your goal is to create motion, Dr. Humbert and Dr. Ludlow proved it, pulled it down. Vital stem said submax does something too but we're not sure. I don't, I don't see any literature showing that it pulled it up. Now, I give these researchers some credit because the research with Ianessa Humbert in 2006, she not only used four different vital stim placements, she did six others. She tried to put all four of their electrodes up under the chin, and she found no appreciable elevation. The only technology out there that is FDA cleared that has shown under peer-reviewed research, fluoro and fees to move the hyoid and larynx has been amp here in a forward upward direction. And remember what I said, here's another thing that starts to worry me. What does NMES do? It increases strength. Why do I wanna strengthen my infrahyoids? Now, people will say, well, I wanna pull the hyoid down, Russ, because when I pull the hyoid down and swallow, I perturbate them, and then they gotta swallow harder to bring it up. Yeah, but you also strengthen. Every time you stimulate those infrahyoids, you strengthen them. So now you start to create a dyskinesia. Every time you swallow, your hyoid's got to go down first. 
And if you want to know what happens when your high go down first, check out the link that's listed there. And then add a bolus and make it more complicated, more conflicting. So there's a lot to be said there. And we haven't even gotten to the parameters, which is going to make it even more interesting. It sounds like a motor learning disaster. Well, that's, a, that's my concern. Yeah. What have we been doing? So you're going to learn something today here. If you, hopefully you're sticking with me on this. Not just you, but your listeners. I can get a little animated, but I'm, I'm passionate about what I do and I won't hold that against me. I'd like to take a second to thank our wonderful sponsors, EndoHD, and I know I talked in the beginning about getting ready for our 100th episode, and they are putting together an awesome package for listeners of Swallow Your Pride for the 100th episode that you can register to win. So thank you, Endio, for all that you guys do. This is totally unscripted and not what I'm supposed to say here, but I'm going to say it anyways. You guys are awesome. I appreciate everything you do and for keeping this podcast going, being the number one supporter. And okay, what do I have to say about EndoHD? Uh, they provide a true high definition fees imaging system with HD image display and capture, crisp color image, unsurpassed digital clarity, an HD image with better resolution than legacy systems, and you can view details of patient anatomy with double the resolution of standard definition video. They provide easy to operate equipment with fully automated archiving with zero downtime and a fully customizable fees report template is provided. So go to www.ndohd.com forward slash contact. That's www.ndohd.com forward slash contact to discuss your specific fee systems requirements, pricing, or to request a live product demonstration. So let's, can we move on? Are we good? Can I talk sure. about parameters now? Please do. So objective now is to understand the principles of NMES and understand that the general principles of NMES is to elicit movement, okay, to get that motor contraction. And again, it's never about a brand name. It's about what we're able to do. So let's talk about parameters because I've heard this at major trade shows, major ones. Russ, parameters don't matter. <laughs> and they absolutely do. I can't, I can't stress that enough. So the duty cycle is a very important parameter. Your duty cycle is the relationship of on time to off time of the electrical stem. It's not your treatment time. Treatment time for ESP is only 30 minutes. Treatment time for vital stem. And I list e-swallow here because they're very similar. The waveforms are slightly off, but from the general standpoint, e-swallow is a knockoff of vital stem to give you a, a, a cheaper option that you could try to use this with, right? So let's just talk about these two products because it's just these three products that have been FDA cleared for pharyngeal contraction, all right? So the duty cycle for AMP care is only five seconds of on time, 25 seconds of off, why? We want them to swallow in that five seconds, why? We wanna work on timing, initiation, control, and strength. And then we want them to do what? Rest and recoup. This is a five second contraction. Your muscle has to contract, rest, and recoup. The vital sim duty cycle is 59 seconds of on time. Let me say this again 59 seconds of on time, one but second I, of off time. But I don't time. care about the parameters and I don't, I don't do it that way. <laughs> that's why. That's what gets me that crazy. I know. I know. It gets me that crazy. I, I know. I know. People say, oh, it doesn't matter. I know. Let me ask you this. This is what I want you to do. For those people who hopefully look at the link of that patient receiving or that therapist getting motor contraction, imagine if that was on for 59 seconds. Let me just go back a little bit. You're putting it on one of the most rich and diverse sensory systems. Read Miller. There are billions with a B 
sensory stimulation receptors, sensory receptors, billions that line your tongue, your mouth, your throat, your anterior neck. It's one of the most rich and diverse sensory systems here in the body. And you know why most people say electrical stimulation on the neck hurts? Because you're trying to elicit a submaximal contraction for 59 seconds out of every minute for 60 minutes. It just can't be done. Don't believe what Russ says. It's science. It's called metabolic fatigue. Your muscles will build up lactic acid. Don't believe me. Go run a marathon. Go run 21, 26.3. And then tell me how you feel the next day. Because you just contracted your muscles as long as it took to run a marathon. Now imagine doing these small band-aid thin muscles for 59 seconds out of a minute. It just can't happen. And therefore, the nerve accommodates. What is accommodation? I put on a watch and a ring and a, maybe a bracelet when I wake up in the morning. As soon as I get in my car and just got to drive to work, I'm worried about what? Cars, you know, sirens, listen to my radio, swallow your pride podcast. I got other things going on. I, my nerves accommodate. They get used to it and I don't feel them anymore. I don't feel my ring because the nerve desensitizes. Accommodation is a phenomenon where the nerve fiber which has been subjected to a constant stim, the weight of this watch or this bracelet, is now not excitable under the same constant level of stim because the body just got used to it. You don't notice your wedding ring on right now because you got used to it when you put it on, right? Okay, so here's the problem. Nerves only follow the all or none principle. Either you get that nerve to fire or you don't. A nerve is like a light switch. You either turn it on and the lights are on or you turn it off. It's called the all or none principle. It's, it's in textbooks. And I even listed the main book that we use. And again, I'm not listing all the authors of it, but the first one is Dr. Lucinda Baker. She's a PT by trade, PhD. I used their book when it was on the third edition. Again, it's on the fourth edition, 20, 30 years later. Uh, again, to show you my age, but I would get it. If you want to learn about electrical STEM, you don't just learn it from one or two or three companies that teach you a set of parameters. You want to learn about electrical STEM, there's a lot more parameters out there. So that reference is in there as well. So here's my, it's never been an eye-opener to me, but it might be an eye-opener to your medical SLPs that are using neuromuscular electrical STEM or think they're using neuromuscular electrical STEM. The, the duty cycle for vital stim has to be eventually sensory. It's a sensory stimulation because you cannot sustain motor for 59 seconds. Okay. Now to Dr. Humbert's point, Dr. Ludlow's point, and to maybe vital stim's point, they're able to show movement, but their movement wasn't up. It was down. And that should make sense to you too. And then you're starting to complicate things with boluses. So all that has to be in considered because I don't think this is, this research has been out here for 12 to 13 years, and it's never gotten its due. And I can't thank you enough for putting this platform out so we can get it out there. You're welcome, my friend. So remember, bottom line is if you want to do sensory stim, you can use it. 59 seconds of on time because eventually they have to accommodate. Because if they don't and it stays motor on for greater than 5, 10, 15 seconds, what do you think that patient's going to do? They're either going to yell at you and tell you to turn that thing down or they're going to yank it off because yeah. they just can't tolerate a duty cycle that's 59 seconds of on time. So now let's go out and start off and do a vital stim plus and start throwing out even more parameters to make this even more confusing. 
So look, no one can do what Amcare can do. Watch what we do. If you want to do it, use it. If not, you want to do something else, learn about it, go do it. So let's talk about another set of parameters because it ain't over. It's called your pulse rate or your frequency. Ampcare uses 30 hertz. What's a pulse rate? Again, in episode 16, I try, or whatever I did, 19, 19. I try to talk about parameters. And the frequency is the rate of electrical pulses. Now, we can use anywhere up to one pulse per second to 150 pulses per second. How do you know what to use? You go back to that book that Cinda Baker was a part of, Neuromuscular Electrical Stimulation, a Practical Guide, and you start looking at what these muscles need. And 30 pulses per second or 30 hertz is what is considered enough to get a tetanizing contraction. Now, in PT, I might use 80, 100 on a big quad, a big shoulder muscle, a glute. But for these Band-Aid thin muscles, 30 is enough. So Ampcare shows 30 hertz, not just because of Dr. Lucinda Baker and this book, but because we also know there's research out there by Lucy that says the firing rates of the larynx when you talk is around 20 to 50 hertz, averages around 30. So we use 30 hertz because if we can get it to match, it might be more comfortable, right? Vitalstim use 80 hertz. Now you can ask Vitalstim trainers what they think. I asked Marcy Freed in 1995, hey Marcy, why did you choose 80? Because we were still developing. Rick Ron and I started developing this in 1994. We thought Marcy had it figured out. We went up to Marcy. I, I went up to Marcy, talked to her. She said, Russ, I want 80 hertz because I want a maximum contraction. Okay, thank you very much. We've got data that supports peer-reviewed research that they were told maximum contraction at some point, and now it's changed to submax. And to me, what submax is, I would assume it's just you're turning the current down a little bit. The higher the current goes, the more motor neurons you have a chance to attract the lower the current goes down, the less. But the nerve will only fire or it won't. So you have to turn it up to motor to get it. And then how long do you sustain it depends on the patient's tolerance, accommodation, their adaptability, or you gotta turn it down. So that's why we chose 30 versus 80. Again, back to the research. And then I'd also say the phase duration. This is important, guys. Every pulse, stays pulsed for a length of time. These pulses are 30 pulses in a second for Ampcare. So for every pulse, it's measured in microseconds for the phase duration, the width of how long that pulse holds itself. So I like to think of the phase duration or the, this pulse as being a tap, right? I'm gonna give a, a current, a beat of electrical current, and how long is it gonna stay there? We only allow it to stay there for 50 microseconds on ESP1. Why? Because we know a low phase duration with a high intensity is more comfortable than a high phase duration with a low intensity. And you don't have to believe Russ, science says it, and it's called the strength duration curve or the intensity duration curve. It's been out in our field for over 70 years and it should have been used on small muscle groups. Because when you use a large phase duration like Vitalstim, 300 microseconds with a low intensity on the strength duration curve, that is, can get painful a whole lot quicker than a low phase duration with a high intensity that Ampcare uses. You can get motor either way, y'all. Ampcare chooses to use 100 milliamps at 50 phase duration. 
Vitalstim uses to chooses to use 25 milliamps at 300 phase duration. I don't care if you drink your water bottle up and down or sideways. Either way, there's the same amount of water in this bottle, but holding it up and down the way Ampcare uses it, it's going to be much more comfortable than these other parameters based on the strength duration curve, not based on what Russ says, just based on the data that's out there. So just realize that. It's not just one thing. People think, oh, it's just one thing. No, it's the duty cycle, it's the pulse rate, it's the phase duration. Oh, and it's the electrode size. Ampcare uses two pie-shaped electrodes, large ones. Why? They're pie-shaped to fit underneath the mandible because we don't want you putting the electrodes over the mandible because you've got periodontal receptors that will rattle their teeth. And not many of us want our teeth rattled like we're feeling when we're at the dentist. Nothing against dentists. But we just want to make sure that we don't rattle their teeth. So we put pie-shaped pieces to stimulate just the suprahyoids versus small round electrodes that don't fit that area as well. And again, we're only using two versus the other technologies four. So let me just say this. This is another reason why we're more comfortable. And everything Rick, Ronda, and I did was basing it on comfort because we knew if it wasn't comfortable, we couldn't elicit motor. We couldn't get the hyoid and larynx to move. So if I put two electrodes on you, a small round one on your forearm and a large pie-shaped one, and I drive 100 milliamps of current through your arm, which electrode do you think you're going to feel first? Current's going through both. They're on the same channel. It's going through both. Which electrode do you think you're going to feel the current under the most? The small round one or the large big one? The big one. Okay. That's what most people would think because it's larger. But guess what? 100 milliamps has got to be under what? A smaller surface area. So if I try to drive 100 milliamps under that small surface area, that's going to get hotter and tighter. And that's why I put in the show notes, again, not based on what Russ says, here is a dispersion plate. A dispersion plate measures the amount of current going through the electrode. And when we drove 100 milliamps through a pie-shaped larger Ampcare electrode versus a small round electrode, the current got so intense under a smaller surface area, it has the ability to get a little warm or hot, and that might be enough for a patient to tap the brakes and not get motor. Electrode placement is like real estate, y'all. It's about location, location, location. So if you don't have the right placement, you don't have the right size, you don't have the right parameters, you're subjecting your patient to potentially more pain and less range of motion. I, I, it's all so important. Rick says, and Ron is saying, which is the one? And I go, it's all of it. It's every bit, every bit of it. Someone said to me, oh, Russ, when they see our parameters, they go, oh, 100 milliamps, I'd never do that. Do you know what 25 milliamps does when I use this other product? That's too much. That's because their phase duration is 300 and it's on for 59 seconds. Use 100 milliamps. If the patient can tolerate it, and they will, eventually some of them will, if you use only five seconds of on time and you use a small phase duration, 50 microseconds, you'll get that nice, beautiful contraction that you see on that patient of the link. Is that good? Sounds good. All right. Last thing. One thing. Can I go one more? Yes. All right, so there's been this big issue now because other systems, whether they're FDA cleared or not, are using electrical stim with EMG. And everyone's asking me, Russ, why aren't you using EMG? Again, EMG has been in our field for a long time. 
We started using it easily 40, some of us almost 50 years ago. Now, as a PT, I'm going to tell you, if I'm going to put it on my arm, I'm going to put it on my leg, those muscles underneath the skin, underneath adipose tissue, maybe lymph nodes, is that muscle. So again, what are we doing? We're measuring activity. That's it. Activity. And I think a nice analogy is I might have some children in a room and I tell them to do an activity like cleaning it. But as soon as I shut that door, I don't know what's going on in that room. And that's the way you got to use EMG. You have to understand that if you place these electrodes in a little different spot, you're going to get a lot more different electrical current. It's going to give you a different idea. It's going to give you different activity. Here's the problem with putting it on the neck. And it's not Russ again. I gave you, at, there's one article, and it's, again, just the first name is Azola. It was in 2015. There's another one that that researcher was involved in with some other researchers that kind of support it. The swallowing muscles are deep. Under my neck, I have a platysma. I also have a sternocleidomastoid. And I can put that surface EMG on my neck, and I can just tighten my platysma. I can just push out my lower lip, and I can tighten my mentalis, and I can get that EMG to fire. And I never used a swallowing muscle. So what this research basically said is, hey, you can't just trust EMG. And when they compared EMG to an objective test, and they wanted to see if what was showing on EMG is what accurately was incurring on these objective tests, they found they were less than 40% accurate. Mm -hmm. And in this day of specificity, where everyone's like, oh, we want to be specific to doing this exercise or that exercise, to tell me you are doing that exercise without pairing it under fees or floral first. If you want pharyngeal squeeze, put that endoscopy in my throat, put my SEMG on, prove to me under fees that I'm getting pharyngeal contraction, find out what that looks like on my EMG screen and repeat it. But if you are not repeating it or you move those electrodes or you're not using new electrodes, you're going to get a different reading. And I'm going to tell you, it's been in my field just as long as it's been in yours. And you go around and ask my physios how much we use it. And it, we can use it at least right over the muscle that it's intended to be used for. You got to go through two to three layers. So you don't really know what's going on. So when people ask me, what are we doing for biofeedback on that RPD? Just like you're doing other ways. We, we love air. We love the dynamometer for grip strength. OTs want to test grip strength. They squeeze pressure, force. On that RPD, that restorative posture device, you're going to have an air bladder on that pad, that chin pad, and you're going to push down into it. Now you're going to be able to measure neck strength. And that is much more accurate than surface electromyography. So that's all I want to say on that, unless you have more. Two quick things. Promise. On the show notes, ESP follows the guidelines and the rules of neuromuscular electrical stim, electrotherapy, and exercise physiology. When a patient starts swallowing it's consistently, only one contraction every 30 seconds, five on, 25 off. That's two contractions a minute for 30 minutes. That's 60 effortful swallow stimulations. When they achieve 80%, which is about 48 out of 60, we allow you to lower their duty cycle from five to 25 to five to 20. And if they achieve 80% of that, they go to five to 15. Why? Because if I can't 
Five on 15 off is one contraction every 20 seconds, three contractions per minute times 30 minutes is 90 stimulations. So we progress them from 60 to 72 to 90 stimulations based on swallowing accuracy. That's how you use NMES as exercise physiologists. If you want to increase strength, you either have to increase what? Weight. And I can't add more weight. They can only take so much NMES. So the next thing I do is add what? Repetitions. So we understand the rules of frequency. We understand the rules of the strength duration curve for phase duration, that intensity and phase duration matter. We understand duty cycle and metabolic fatigue, and we understand the rules of plasticity. Check out CLIMB. I give you the keys to neuroplasticity and the ESP principles to plasticity on the show notes. And again, to return to that comment to the SLP that tells me I'm trained in NMES, look at the last thing on this notes. It's a chart that shows you can use up to 4,000 pulses per second. You could use up to 150 hertz. You don't know all these parameters are capable of doing. Learn as much as you can about NMES. It's in your field to stay. It's never coming out. It does too much. And when you realize it, and this group of key opinion leaders can come together and figure it out, and I'm open to talk to any of them, we will do better, and this will be a standard of care. Bottom line, last page, these are the three FDA-cleared units that have gone through the FDA to get clearance for marketing for the treatment of dysphagia for pharyngeal contraction. I said they all create movement. They all create contraction. One, AmpCare takes it in a forward upwards position. The other peer-reviewed data says the other two take it in the opposite direction. You decide, give you plenty of links, passionately, calmly, I'm going to take a deep breath and say, God bless you. Safe travels to everyone. And uh, go Cubs. Thank you, Harry Carey. Thank you very much. Let's get some runs. <laughs> go Cubs. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. So if you would love to hear more of these episodes and get some easily digestible bites of swallowing knowledge, then please leave a review on iTunes or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash swallow your pride because that is what keeps these episodes coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe, share with your closest colleagues, and show notes will always be available to download over on swallowyourpridepodcast.com, where you can also be notified of the latest podcast episodes. Also, credit to Stephanie Jacobson for her incredible editing skills, and thank you so much to all of you for listening.